welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm speaking with Stephanie Strathdy, who is an infectious disease epidemiologist, and her husband, Thomas Patterson, who is an evolutionary sociobiologist and an experimental psychologist. And today, we're discussing their book, The Perfect Predator. So, Stephanie and Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Well, so... This book, um, I, I mean, this is this is your story. That this book that you put together, um, in you know, it's amazing that you both also have the the background that you do that you had this experience. But um, I just want to talk about how this journey started for you. It started in Egypt, and and what happened. Well, we were uh, doing a vacation. Was one of, Egypt was on my bucket list, and we were on the Nile uh, on a boat. There was supposed to be 150 people on that boat, and there was a two of us because the uh, there had been a, a terrorist attack. I thought that was a great time to go because nothing was crowded. In <laughs> um, the last evening, we were sitting on the top of the boat and right across from the Valley of the Kings, beautiful night, had a wonderful meal, and out of the blue, I started getting very, very ill. I started throwing up and just couldn't stop throwing up all night long. And Steph insisted that uh, after about 24 hours of this, she insisted we call a uh, physician to the boat and... He came and gave me some fluids and an antibiotic and thought I was going to be just fine. And, um, but I just kept getting worse and worse. Um, and then they took me to this clinic. Unfortunately, there was no real hospital in Luxor, which is where we were, right across from the Valley of the Kings. And uh, in the clinic, they discovered that I had a... Uh, a, a, a large, or I had inflammation of my um, pancreas, and that was kind of the beginning of the whole saga. And, and so, Stephanie, for for you, what were you thinking as this was going on? Well, I wasn't really worried at first. Um, I thought he had food poisoning. He tends to eat more than I uh, I do, and I just thought, well, there he goes again. You know, he's got another stomach bug, and um, and so I just thought it was going to resolve. And even when the doctor came and gave him some intravenous antibiotics and some fluids, you know, he thought that Tom was going to be up and, you know, at him by, you know, in a couple of hours. And when that didn't happen and, and Tom started complaining of back pain, all of a sudden my alarm bell started to go off because I realized, oh, wait a second, this doesn't sound like food poisoning at all. And I Googled the symptoms and it came up pancreatitis. And although I'm not a physician, um, that worried me enough that I called a colleague of ours back home, Dr. Chip Schooley, who was the head of infectious diseases, and asked him what I should do. And he said, get him to the closest hospital, ASAP, because it could be pancreatitis, but it could be a twisted bowel or something even more serious. So that's what we did, but there was no hospital. There was only a clinic in Luxor. So um, they did the best they could with limited resources. Well, I, I think it's pretty, um, most doctors hate when you Google your your symptoms, but it's lucky that you did because you were actually right in in that assumption that that was part of what was going on anyway. Yeah, I mean that initially gave me some some sense of relief that um, that you know because the the doctors at the clinic did um, confirm pancreatitis, but that was just the beginning of what was going to be a very long nine month journey of Tom's hospitalization. And and when I spoke to the doctor back home and said, "Oh, it's pancreatitis. That's great, right?" And he goes, "Oh, well, not so great. Not only is that serious, but it's it's you know Tom isn't." 
a big drinker. That's um, one of the causes of pancreatitis. But, um, you know, we need to find out why he has pancreatitis. And so there could be something else going on. And it turned out there was a gallstone that had blocked his bile duct and caused a giant abscess to form in his abdomen. And we didn't find out about that until he was medevaced to Germany. I thank God for travel insurance. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. But then that was just, you know, another part of the saga because inside that lurked a superbug. So, yeah, so, th- I mean, this is the, the, the perfect predator that we're talking about is this superbug that, that Tom was dealing with. And so when you found that out, what was kind of the response, not only on your side, but on the side of the hospital? Well, at first when they um, took a sample from the abscess in his abdomen, it was murky brown putrid fluid. And they said, look, if this had just formed as an abscess, the, the fluid would be clear. So it's obviously been there a while, and you know, pre um, us going to Egypt. Um, but they said something is growing in this and we need to culture it because... Uh, organisms that you acquire, you know, on vacation in the Middle East tend to be multi-drug resistant. <laughs> and, you know, let's hope that it's, you know, a garden variety uh, bacteria. And, and so two days later, the culture came back and it was resistant to 15 different antibiotics and only partially sensitive to three. So I started to get very concerned at that point. So when you have a, a drug-resistant bacteria, wh- what is that mean like in the big scheme of of what you're dealing with um i I don't think people always understand that this is also this is something that's happening in the world um so can you just tell us what that means sure so um the lay term is superbug which basically means a bacteria that's resistant to multiple antibiotics and that's what tom had was um the organism is called acinetobacter bomanii and it's very hard to pronounce. Um, its nickname is Arachobacter because so many veterans come back from the Middle East with this organism and it kind of took advantage of the whole medevac system of the military to kind of populate itself in regional hospitals where the veterans went back home. So many veterans actually, you know, were cured from their, you know, um, a bomb blast or, or what have you, but they succumbed um, because of this superbug. So it's now mostly acquired in hospitals and clinics around the world. Um, and it's our overuse of antibiotics, in, not just in people, but in livestock, that's actually you know, the biggest factor that's led to the spread of superbugs around the world. Well, and, you know, this is something that I I mention to people quite often, and I think a lot of people think I'm crazy. Um, I do recognize that um, antibiotics have their place. And, um, you know, when we talk about their overuse, I do do agree that it is in the the livestock. I think that's for another show, really. But um, we're, you know, we've done something. I think we've misunderstood the role of bacteria in our lives and, um, you know, where antibiotics have saved lives I think we've kind of missed a few things in that step and now now we've got situation like Tom's where um, we don't know what to do we've got these bugs that aren't responding yes absolutely and in, in fact in, when we use antibiotics many of them are what we call broad spectrum which means that they don't just kill the bacteria that you want to kill they're killing other bacteria in our microbiome like the friendly bacteria and it takes a while for our bodies to recover from, you know, having an antibiotic, um, especially some of the kinds that Tom received, which are very toxic. So, but, but, but the worst part in Tom's case is that by the time he was medevaced back home to San Diego, where our doctor friends were caring for him, it became resistant to those last three antibiotics. So now it was fully antibiotic resistant. So now you've got um, a very complicated illness with, um, you know, antibiotic resistant bacteria, but also, I I mean, what was happening to Tom at this time? Like when you got him home, how was he feeling? Well, he was feeling pretty miserable. Um, He can tell you about that, but one of the big decisions was how to deal with this because this um, bacteria was, was... still at this point um, captured within the abscess and it was basically moved into this nice little apartment that Tom had had you know built inside his body uh, you know to kind of wall off um, you know the the problem and um, it, as long as it stayed there the feeling 
was, well, maybe his immune system can get stronger and fight it. But if it gets into his bloodstream, it's game over. So they decided, let's not operate to take out the abscess. Let's poke holes in his abdomen and put these catheters in there to try to drain off all that infected gunk. And that worked for a while. But, Tom, how, how are you feeling? Well, initially for me, um, there was a lot of pain. But I very early on in this, because of the toxins from the infection, because of lack of sleep, because people who are in ICUs, at least 50% of them are going to experience hallucinations. I started hallucinating and had delusions. So I was in and out of consciousness for about five months of the nine months that I was in the hospital. So do you remember anything that happened? Oh, yes. In fact, um, there's two answers or two angles to this. Um, There's the psychological and there's the physical part. For me, I was um, conscious, in and out of consciousness during the entire period. So I have an episodic memory of, you know, the actual hospitalization But for the rest of the time, I was hallucinating about wandering through the desert and trying to answer questions with three wise men, having deep conversations with them. But uh, in fact, the interesting part, even though I I was unconscious uh, to the world, or at least so the world thought, I could actually hear um, people talking and was incorporating their conversations into my uh, hallucinations. So I guess one of my messages is even though somebody's in a coma, uh, don't, don't assume that they can't hear you. You should be, uh, try to speak uh, kindly and not talk about a futility and things like that because the person will, at least I could hear, and then uh, that influenced how I was hallucinating. Well, now, Stephanie, I know um, from from your book that you were actually um, trying to keep his spirits up even though he wasn't responding. You said you were, like, singing and dancing every day and you were there every day, um, you know, and it was actually, it was really touching to to read that um, and heartbreaking as well. I mean, what what were you thinking at the time that your husband was in a coma for, I think it, it was, it was multi, many months yeah, I mean, what what happened was initially this idea to drain the, the infected fluid with these catheters was working. But what happened was he had so many of these drains um, because it, the infection kept spreading that one of them slipped inside his abdomen and dumped all that infected fluid, into not just into his abdomen, but into his bloodstream, and he immediately went into septic shock. So that happened after he'd been in the hospital for a couple months, and he went into a coma. First, they medically induced it for a couple of days, but then after after that, he started slipping away. Day by day, he was losing weight and and getting, you know, more delusional, and it was just horrible watching. But um, up until that point, I had thought that he was going to be coming home soon. In fact, they, the doctors told us that, you know, he could be discharged to a long-term acute care facility. And um, so, you know, I got two kittens thinking he was going to come home. And, you know, we he, he had his 69th birthday while he was in the hospital, and you know, we tied balloons to his bed rails, and every day I would dance around the bed and play music that he liked, and you know, I, I, any, anything to just kind of you know break the monotony. And I didn't know if he could hear me, but um, sometimes his eyebrows would wiggle, and he seemed to respond even just a slight little bit. And I think that's a message for people too. When you're visiting people in the hospital, um, you know, try to do whatever you can to to bring their spirits up, even if they're in a coma. They, they, you can read to them. You can sing uh, songs. Um, you can visit people when they're in the ICU. And most of the people that we saw in there didn't have any visitors at all. And, and that really gives people a sense of hopelessness, and many people kind of give up. 
Mm-hmm. Well, well, I agree. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, and I know, um, you know, not everybody may have the opportunity to be at somebody's bedside all day the way that you did, but to be there at some point, uh, sitting with them, um, knowing, you know, that that they can hear and that they know what's going on, um, and just to give them that that love and that that hope that um, somebody is there for them. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Stephanie Strathty and Thomas Patterson. We're discussing their book, The Perfect Predator. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Riss. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Stephanie Strathy and Thomas Patterson. We're discussing their book, The Perfect Predator, A Science Scientist's Race to Save Her Husband from a Deadly Superbug. So, um, Steph- Stephanie and Tom, well, I guess more Stephanie, because Tom, you were in a coma. But w- when did you um, realize that you had to do more for Tom than just the, the antibiotics and trying to drain off the cyst? Well, I was, um, you know, dealing with a situation where um, our friends were doctors caring for him, and they didn't want to tell me that he was dying. And I think some of them were in denial themselves. They just thought that maybe, you know, even though these antibiotics aren't working anymore and now he's fully colonized with this superbug, maybe, you know, something will turn this around. And I was actually on the phone on a conference call with some colleagues, um, and I was supposed to be at a university retreat, and they knew that I couldn't make it. So I joined in for a short time, and these were all, you know, physicians and, and global health experts, and they asked me during a break how Tom was doing. And I told them, and um, then I got ready to hang up the phone because the doctors were coming uh, for rounds, and the, my colleagues on the phone didn't realize that I hadn't hung up, and one of them turned to the other, and he was a former university chancellor and surgeon, and he said, has anybody told staff that her husband is going to die? And I sat there, and I held the phone in my hand and cradled it like a baby. And I thought, oh, my God, like, no, nobody has. And, like, how could I be so stupid that I'm not seeing this myself? And I kicked myself, and I just thought, okay, well, um, if he's going to die, then, um, you know, i got to get prepared. But, but on the other hand, I thought, well, maybe there's something that I could do. 
But then, again, I was just so torn because I thought, well, maybe Tom doesn't even want to live. He's been fighting for several months now, and I need to ask him. So I had a conversation with him where I, you know, held his hand, and it was gloved, and I'm fully gowned, as I was every day. And I saw his eyebrows twitching this one particular day, and I thought, well, maybe he could hear me. And I said, honey, I know that you've been fighting really hard. And, you know, it, there's nothing else that the doctors can do to fight this thing. So if you want to live, you're going to need to give it all you've got. But I also need to know if you want to live, I'll leave no stone unturned. But give me a sign, um, squeeze my hand, and, and I'll, you know, do whatever I can. And so I waited, and um, he squeezed my hand really hard. Um, but it took about a minute for that to happen. Now, Tom um, and I pieced together what was going on through in his mind versus what was going on in real life months later after he recovered um, and he can tell you what was going on in his head because those interludes are part of our book because you know he you know had his own version of what was going on and so I don't know if you want to hear that now um, but that was the moment when I I turned things around Tom, Tom what was happening for you at that point well at that point I was hallucinating that I was a snake I was being filmed for a documentary about uh, end of life, and the only thing that was alive in me was a little red light blinking in my tail, and people would come and stand over me and film me, and Beatles music was playing in the background. It was totally crazy. But at the same time, when Steph asked me to squeeze her hand, I... um, I had a problem. The problem was that uh, I didn't have hands. So it took me a minute to figure out that I could wrap my body around her hand and squeeze it. So it was, if you, in retrospect, the whole hallucination was about what was going on in the environment, doctors coming and standing over me and talking about futility. So I was, you know, being filmed and the snake came from the fact that they were putting a a device down my throat that looked kind of like a snake. And uh, so, you know, I was just messing up what was going on in the real world. But when Steph asked if I wanted to live, I could hear her from far away and responded as best I could. Well, and, and Steph, you, you took, so that response was, was you squeezing her hand. And Steph, you took that as a sign that you needed to do everything that you could to save him. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I wasn't a physician, so I felt a little helpless um, at first. But then I decided, you know what? Um, if he dies, I just want to know that I did everything that I could. And so um, I went home, and I did what anybody would do. I Googled it. Um, and luckily, <laughs> I am a researcher. I'm a scientist, and I used um, not just Google, but also, also uh, PubMed, which is a free search engine that the National Library of Medicine has developed that anybody can use. I put in words like antibiotic resistance, the name of his organism, and alternative alternative treatments and up popped a paper um, that, you know, had an obscure 100-year-old forgotten cure in it called bacteriophage therapy or phage therapy for short. So um, what is that? Well, phages or bacteriophage are viruses that have naturally evolved to attack bacteria. They are the oldest organism on the planet. Um, They're 100 times smaller than bacteria. It's estimated that there are 10 million trillion trillion phages on the planet, and they're everywhere that you find bacteria because that's what they prey upon. So they are the perfect predator for bacteria, and that's where the name of our book came from. And so um, wherever you find bacteria, like in soil, in water, our skin, inside our guts, um, you're going to find phage. And they've kind of been what's called the viral dark matter of our microbiomes because um, sometimes they're hard to culture and, and, and to study. Um, and they were discovered 100 years ago by a French-Canadian who actually did use them to treat bacterial infections for quite some time before penicillin came on the scene and then the West kind of forgot about them. Well, you know, it, it, you're, I found it, this part really fascinating in, in your book because um, the... 
you know, it's something that we've forgotten about, but it seems like um, this is our, our natural defense against bacteria and there's an imbalance somewhere if, if we're, we're lacking these. I, I mean, I guess maybe we don't know enough, but it just seemed to me that this is probably something that we're supposed to have more of or that we're supposed to have help with. Um, and um, something's happened that it's, you know, we have these superbugs maybe. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you know more. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not a phage expert, but I've researched it extensively and um, learned a lot from other phage researchers around the world. So it's estimated that there's about 30 billion phages that are absorbed in and out of our bodies every single day. They are the gatekeepers of our microbiome. Um, the bacteria get most of the credit with probiotics and things like that. Um, some people are trying to cash in on the, the new interest in phage by saying, oh, our probiotics have phage in them, but we don't know enough. You're exactly right. We don't know enough about the interplay between bacteria, phage, and the immune system to be able to say what phage products or or supplements would, would be right for a person. But someday it's hoped that um, phage could be used to groom the microbiome to get rid of the nasty, you know, bacteria, and which includes superbugs, and keep the friendly ones um, from being killed because phage only kill the specific bacteria that they match to. And that's what's really great about them compared to antibiotics, which, as we just talked about, have this kind of scorched earth approach where they kill the friendly bacteria too. So as soon as, as the phage kill the bacteria that they match to, they're naturally excreted by the body. And so that's the beauty is that uh, they kill the superbugs if you're, you know, using phage to kill a superbug as we did in Tom's case, and they leave everything else alone. Um, they have been extensively used in the former Soviet Union, um, in particular the Republic of Georgia and in Poland. Um, and that was one of the reasons why phage therapy was forgotten in the West as well, because there was a geopolitical bias against um, Russia during World War II. And so it's really, I think, a real shame because phage um, were used to, to um, discover a lot of wonderful things in science like, you know, molecular biology, genetic engineering, cancer biology, uh, CRISPR, um, phage display, which won the Nobel Prize just last year in chemistry. So, um, and yet phage therapy was just kind of relegated to the back burner until um, Tom's kiss, which really was, um, you know, brought it back to North America. Well, we are going to talk about that, but, um, you know, I'm just hypothesizing that, um, you know, if if we um, look at this deeper phage treatments can be used for for cattle in replacement of the antibiotics that they're using um, so that we're we're not overusing antibiotics and creating more superbugs, you know, and, and, you know, not just for for people, but just like this, uh, it just seems to make more sense to me that we would do something like that instead of broad spectrum antibiotics that are killing everything and creating superbugs. You're right. Um, Phage um, are actually being studied right now as treatment for livestock so that um, they can replace antibiotics. Um, And they are being used, um, you know, to decontaminate meat and poultry um, for listeria. Um, So it's ironic that we've had, you know, phage for, um, you know, our, our, some of our food products, but it isn't licensed yet for, for people, at least in North America. And we're hoping to change that. Um, you also, in your book, you use a word, um, you, you say, I think it's pronounced virome, which I would assume is like the microbiome, but is the virus kind of microbiome? That's is right. that is Yes. And, and, and so it's not well. a word that um, I... I so, uh-huh. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so virome it refers to, you know, the universe of viruses um, in an ecosystem, a microbial ecosystem. So the virome in our body, for example, or the phageome, which is really the, you know, the subset of viruses that are just phages. Um, but in our microbiomes, there's archaea, there's um, fungi, um, and phage. So uh, there's other organisms that have been forgotten as well. And some of these were hard to culture, um, and it wasn't until, you know, recent techniques with metagenomics that have been developed that we can actually um, find and study them. 
Yeah, I mean, I found that very interesting. I'd, I'd never, it just hadn't occurred to me. We talk about microbiome and, and the bacteria that we need. And I've, I've done a show on um, even the microbiome in our homes, which is something we don't understand as well and on our skin. Um, and we just know so little about these bugs that, that live with us that are, um, I would think, protecting us. And we've gone and killed them all. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've had a war on, on bacteria for um, decades, and I think now we're realizing the damage that we've done with that, as in Tom's case where he got a superbug because of this. Yes, that's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I find this uh, very fascinating. So w- when you um, decided to do this treatment, I mean, you said that this th- this was the first case in North America, like the first treatment for phage? Well, there have been other cases, um, and most of these have been topical, which means sprinkled the phage on the skin. So for, say, a diabetic toe ulcer, there have been a couple of um, anecdotal reports of intravenous phage therapy, but um, this was uh, appears to be the first documented case of intravenous phage therapy to treat a systemic superbug infection because he was fully colonized. So we just didn't want to just put the phage only in the tubes and in, 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 you know, close to his abscess. We, we decided um, to inject them into his body, and that was, you know, one of the scariest aspects of this. But we were convinced that um, from talking to phage researchers that if there was a hidden reservoir of bacteria um, that, you know, the phage didn't reach because we didn't um, inject them into his body, that the bacteria could become resistant right away. Because you've got to think of it as like a miniature warfare that you can't see. It's almost like a miniature King Kong versus a miniature Godzilla. Um, but Tom actually has a really nice metaphor to explain it to the lace person if you want to hear it. Sure. Well, I think of my body as a, uh, an African plain where there's great migrations occurring and the wildebeest or the herds moving across these plains. The wildebeest you could think of as bacteria. And sometimes there's too many wildebeest and so you, they get out of control or starting to eat all of the grass, which is my body. And, and so you have in quotes an infection, if you will. And you need to control it. And so what controls it is predators. Now, it's, you have to have a particular predator that's able to kill wildebeest. You wouldn't import a snow leopard or a, some small cat to take down a wildebeest. And so you need a lion. So matching the predator to the prey is what's really important. And once the predators are there and taking care of the excess, wounded, less able uh, wildebeest, the, the herd thins and the grass comes back and flourishes. So in a general situation, everything is in balance, but when things get out of balance, that's when you have problems. Which, which I agree with you. I, I think we have often forgot about this. It's just something that we're, we've been talking about in recent years as we have, um, you know, superbugs like yours that are, you know, hurting people and killing people um, that, you know, we're stuck. We don't have, um, you know, anything to do. So, um, you know, when the antibiotics don't work, what do you do? That's our first defense against the bacteria. Uh, and you guys really took that outside the box for sure, and and I'm I'm glad you did. Now, now Tom, when I know Stephanie told you that, that you know this was going on, do you remember any of the any of this happening? The actual first administration, I don't remember. I was in a deep coma at that point. Was near death, very near death. They were about to. Pull the plug. They were discussing it. All of the life support that I was on was, uh, they were talking about discontinuing it. So staff is best able to describe exactly what happened at that last moment. Yeah, it was very scary. Um, you know, we got um, two um, phage cocktails from phage researchers um, around the U.S., and some of these were obtained from other researchers around the globe. Um, I had reached out 
um, to total strangers um, that I found their you know, information on the internet by just again going to PubMed and putting in, you know, phage or bacteriophage and the name of his superbug and, and found research teams that were studying it. And I wrote them an impassioned plea and sent a photo of Tom lying in a coma. And I said, could you please help us? I know that you probably get lots of requests, but my husband is going to die. And Ryland Young from Texas A&M um, responded and said, you know, I would normally refer you to like one or two phage companies that sometimes help patients, but I'm the same age as your husband. I've been working on phage a long time. I'm about to retire. It would it'd be nice to see phage therapy work sometime, and maybe this is the case that could turn things around. And he also thought that I'm, I was somebody that could cut through the red tape to make this happen because there's a lot of regulatory hurdles that had to be um, dealt with. And so he um, agreed to receive Tom's um, bacterial isolate and turned his lab essentially into a command center for the next several weeks and even months. And one of the graduate students that in his lab, um, Adriana Hernandez, actually slept in the lab um, trying to find phage to match Tom's bacteria. And lo and behold, they did. They found several phages that matched and um, got those purified and sent to us. And at the last minute, we had to call in San Diego State University to repurify the phages when we realized that we were going to have to inject them into him. So we wanted them to be as pure as possible. And the FDA was also instrumental when we contacted them to get approval for compassionate use, which basically means experimental treatment that is not approved um, for a dying patient, the FDA put us in touch with the Navy, um, who was also researching phage, and they had a whole library of phages for Acinetobacter bulmanii, Tom's superbug, and these had only been used in mice and rats, not in people, but they um, got approval for their phage cocktail to um, be sent for research purposes to us, and so now we had two phage cocktails. The first um, from Texas A&M, we injected those into the catheters in his abdomen first just to make sure he could tolerate it. And when, you know, he seemed to be okay, well, I mean, okay, still in a coma, but <laughs> not getting any worse. Um, then we got the Navy phages and we injected those into his bloodstream two days later. And um, that was terrifying because it could have killed him. Uh, at least that's what I, I thought. And that's what some people had told us that you're injecting, you know, essentially foreign pathogens or, or could be pathogens into his bloodstream and if his immune system goes haywire he could die of septic shock and he'd already had several cases of septic shock already and his body wasn't going to be able to withstand another one it was felt so um, after we I'm, injected I'm gonna, the phages gonna, into him um, I'm going to leave us hanging there um, just <laughs> so that everybody can um, wonder and suspense what happens while we take a quick break and then we're going to talk sure. about this more we're talking today with Stephanie Strathdee and Thomas Patterson we're discussing their book The Perfect Predator and we'll be back shortly Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking today with Stephanie Strasti and her and her husband, Thomas Patterson. So, Stephanie, when you injected the, the phages into Tom and then you waited, what, what happened? Well, um, you know, Tom's daughter actually turned to Chip Schooley, the head of infectious diseases, who oversaw the protocol for phage therapy. And she said, well, what do we do now? And he said, we wait and we hope we have the most boring 24 hours in our lifetimes because that's kind of the golden, um, you know, period where um, things go wrong after you um, do a procedure. And um, we were worried about septic shock. So we were watching to make sure that his blood pressure wasn't dropping precipitously or his heart rate would be, you know, going really high. Um, he was on life support at this point, so he was on a ventilator, which meant that the, the ventilator was breathing for him. And he was on three different medications to keep his heart pumping. And he was on the verge of kidney dialysis. In fact, I had signed the consent form for kidney dialysis the day that we started phage therapy. And he never needed it. The, the um, nephrologists who um, handle the kidneys, they were kind of hovering and wanting, watching and waiting, um, but he, he started to um, lighten in, in terms of his um, you know vital signs, and his laboratory markers started to improve. And um, he lifted his head up off the pillow and kissed his daughter's hand three days after we began intravenous phage therapy, and everybody freaked out. <laughs> now, now, Tom, I think you remember this because this is one of your interludes in the book. Oh yes, yeah. I mean it's. It ain't like in the movies, as they say. <laughs> I, uh, when I woke up, I you know, certainly saw my daughter, and it was a joyous moment. But it's kind of like looking at life through a cardboard tube. There's nothing on either side. Can't see the periphery. You're very focused. If somebody moved out of my vision directly, I, they were gone from my world. And it took a while for me to really come back, if you will, as I, my memories came back. It was like a Christmas tree lighting up bulb by bulb. Somebody would remind me of something. But uh, it was an incredible experience coming back from the brink like that. Um, so, I mean, th- this is a, 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 an amazing story because you, I think, it, I'm pretty sure we all know if this hadn't been done, you would have died. Um, you know, you were on that point of kidney dialysis and, you know, the future of that at, at the point of where you were um, would have been the end of your life. So this is an amazing story that something so revolutionary or really so old because the, t- the information has been there for a long time. We just haven't done it. And um, I, I I just think this is an amazing story and is going to open up doors for a lot of people. Well, yes, it already has. And that's, I think, one of the wonderful things because obviously our family went through a terrible ordeal and we decided to write our book initially because you know, we realized that we'd gone through the same ordeal but had different experiences and we were piecing that together and getting to know one another again. But then when we realized that other people could be saved as a result of this, we felt like we had a real obligation to pay it forward. Um, we were really um, very, very fortunate. Um, Most of the 1.5 million people around the world who die from superbugs every year don't have the resources that we had. So we feel that we were privileged and we want to help other people. So um, already at UC San Diego, we've treated seven other patients with stage therapy um, and consulted on a number of other cases internationally. And it's been, you know, really miraculous to have people come to you and say, thank you for saving my life. And I say, oh, no, I, I... 
you know, I, I don't even think that like I really saved Tom's. I mean, we had a global village of people that came to his rescue, but it's clear that without the knowledge um, that we've had from Tom's case, that other cases wouldn't have received this. And intravenous phage therapy is now becoming more common. We launched the first phage therapy center, IPATH, the Center for Innovative Phage Applications and Therapeutics at UC San Diego last summer. We had just a little bit of seed funding um, to keep us going with one coordinator who fields all the many calls that we get for people like Tom and their families that are, are trying to get this. And so our next goal is to take phage therapy into clinical trials so that it can be um, shown if it's efficacious, then it can be licensed by the FDA and, and used more widely. I think this is uh, amazing um, and the fact that, you know, seven more people have gone on to get treatment because I know you had to do a lot with the FDA to get this approved because it had never been approved and, and there was some talk in your book about they didn't really know what to do because this wasn't a medication, <laughs> but it was it was something else. So there wasn't, you know, a protocol in place for this. So have you um, uh, in this process, has something been set up so that this can move forward and, and more can happen for people? Well, just like um, fecal transplants, um, you know, the drug is alive in, in the case of phage therapy. So there is no regulatory pathway at the FDA for a living drug like this. Um, and they are um, considering uh, cases on a case-by-case basis. And as a result of Tom's case, um, they now um, will give approval for an entire phage cocktail with one, what they call an emergency investigational new drug, or EIND, for patients that um, are, um, you know, at the brink of death. But um, it used to be that you needed an EIND for every single phage. Um, so if you had a cocktail with eight phages in it, you'd need eight EINDs. So it's easier now because you only need one for that cocktail. And there are phage companies that are, are working now to get approvals for their whole phage bank or phage library. Um, and uh, as a result of Tom's case, they're also um, giving approvals in, in cases where it's not as life-threatening, but if there are no um, other antibiotic options, um, the FDA has been very generous in those approvals as well. So it isn't as onerous as people think, um, and uh, it's, it's wonderful to have an organization like the FDA that um, really helped um, us find the Navy team as well. Um, and they, they really came to our rescue. Well, and what would be the reason somebody would use more than one phage? Wouldn't one just deal with a superbug and you can move on? Well, that's a good question. Um, you actually do need more than one in most cases, or at least ideally, because this um, antibiotic resistance um, and um, the, the battle between the phage and the, um, the bacteria is happening at a, at a rapid level. So the same kinds of process that creates antibiotic resistance among bacteria, the bacteria can become resistant to the phage. And so you want to have as many different phage that attack different receptors. So think of it as, um, a, a, you know, the phage attaching to a door or versus a window. Um, if, if you have different phages that attack different receptors, it's harder for the bacteria to mutate to become resistant. But even in Tom's case, we did see that resistance formed after a couple of weeks because the phages that we used were more similar than we realized. They weren't sequenced before they were delivered. Um, but the Navy was able to generate a second-generation phage cocktail within a couple of days and get that purified with, within a whole week, um, and it came back to us. And it was synergistic with an antibiotic, and that's something um, that was wonderful as well because phage can be synergistic with antibiotics, and that allows um, them to have a second purpose, um, even if they fail in clinical trials, but they resurrect failing antibiotics, and that's still a game changer for the field. Oh, definitely. Because um, you, you had no antibiotics left that were going to treat this bug. Everything had been tested. And you, you mean you list them all in your book, this long list of, of antibiotics that weren't going to work. And um, I, I think it's something that we also don't always think about that these bugs can mutate and and um, they're, you know, pretty smart. That's why they're super bugs <laughs> and they're protecting themselves to try to live longer. And, and it, 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 it's... Uh, yeah, this I just I love this story. 
Okay. I don't think well, I can talk about this enough. Most people don't realize that, that, that <laughs> antimicrobial resistance is a bigger threat and a more immediate threat in our lives than climate change, um, and that superbugs are becoming more and more of a problem. And um, the CDC and the WHO say that we are on the cusp of a post-antibiotic era where simple scrapes or minor surgeries could lead to limb amputation or even death. So we hope that phage therapy will be one of the solutions for this. Yes, we, we need antibiotics, we need new ones, but many pharmas have left the antibiotic discovery field because it's very expensive and you know many of these antibiotics don't last very long because of resistance. So we need alternatives and this is one of them. Yeah, which which is um, pretty amazing, and and I I, I didn't know that they would, could become synergetic synergistic with antibiotics. So that's also amazing that you know if a, a antibiotic doesn't work or a phage doesn't work, we've got the two together that that might work. So would the future of this um, be sending your your bacteria isolate to a lab the way you did with Chom, and then them finding what would work for the superbug, and then you would have like a, a different protocol than even somebody else with the same superbug diagnosis. Yes, that's um, one um, avenue um, to have a personalized phage cocktail for every person who has a superbug, but um, there's also fixed phage cocktails like that could be off the shelf, um, and there are some organisms like MRSA that lend themselves to fixed cocktails because, say, 20 to 30 phages appear to cover the majority of MRSA um, and other staph um, infections around the world, whereas with a case like Tom's, um, his superbug it has to, the phage have to be matched to the specific isolate. That means Tom's, you know, own bacteria, not just the genus and the species. Also on the horizon are genetically modified phage cocktails and synthetic phage cocktails. So there's research and biotech teams that are actively working in this area, and that's going to happen sooner than you think. That's pretty amazing. Now, Tom, how do you feel now? I'm feeling great. Uh, we went on a vacation to Costa Rica. I'm going to be going up uh, to Canada salmon fishing in a couple of months. Uh, for a few days, I'm doing great. Back to work, pumping out papers, doing what uh, researchers do. Very happy to be on Earth. Um, yeah. I'd say that one part of the story is in the future, hopefully people aren't going to have to spend as much time in the hospital. Had phages been available, I would be uh, been out of the hospital much, much sooner. I wouldn't have had to go on through what I did. But I was in the right place at the right time, which uh, is, is really phenomenal. But I think, you know, in general, you have to re- look at me and think I'm a um, the experimental animal, a large rat, if you will, and um, but I represent hope for the future that antibiotic resistance can be overcome with phages. Well, and you've definitely have paved a way for um, other people. Now, if there is somebody who is listening to this and wants more information or thinks you might be able to help them, how can they um, get a hold of you or your book? Well, um, we have launched the first phage therapy center in North America at UC San Diego, and it's called IPATH. So that's ipath.ucsd.edu. Our email address is ipath at ucsd.edu. So if you have a superbug infection that is resistant to all antibiotics, you can contact us and we can see if we can help. We are a nonprofit and um, we are fundraising and hoping to move phage therapy into clinical trials. Our book is The Perfect Predator, a scientist's race to save her husband from a deadly superbug. It's in bookstores now on hardcover and you know, Audible and Kindle. And um, our website for our book is theperfectpredator.com. Well, and and I, I encourage anybody to pick it up because it, it's not just a scientific story. I was crying. I was intrigued. I actually couldn't put it down. And um, I, I think it was a very beautiful way to tell um, such a, a revolutionary story that needed to be told. So thank you so much for both of you for sharing this. Well, it's our pleasure, and we also hope to encourage young women and girls in STEM um, because sometimes ordinary people can do extraordinary things, and they just need some encouragement. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want more information on my story and what I went through to get back to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Feel free to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 